Well, good morning, everybody. It is great to be with you this morning. In case you're joining us online or in person and we haven't met, my name's Chad Murphy. I'm the campus pastor. That's not true. I'm the spiritual formation pastor. Boy, that goes back a little while. <laughs> I'm the spiritual formation pastor here at Mercy Road. And uh, it is my privilege to continue a series in the book of Jonah that we've uh, titled The Mysteries of God's Mercy. And isn't that true? That God's mercy is so interesting, so mysterious. And Jonah is certainly experiencing that in this story. The, the title of today specifically is The Mechanics of Mercy. If you want to, and I encourage you, follow me in God's word this morning. We're going to be in chapter 1 of Jonah, re-looking at verses 4 through 17 together. Because last week, Mike painted a, a powerful picture for us of why Jonah wanted to actually hoard God's mercy, kind of keep it for himself and for the Israelites, and not take the chance of it possibly reaching the Assyrians and the great city of Nineveh. Because for Jonah, that was unthinkable. In ancient times, the Assyrians were one of the cruelest and most violent empires that the world had known. And the idea that if Jonah spoke to them and called them to repentance, that they might actually turn from their evil ways and turn towards God, what was unthinkable to Jonah. It offended him. He wanted nothing to do with it. And if you remember, his decision was to run away from God and run away from his calling. So he hopped on a boat and he headed in the opposite direction from the Ninevites and the calling. And here's what's so interesting, and Mike did a great job with this. Jonah had decided that he, Jonah, rather than God, knew better who, who was deserving of God's mercy and who wasn't deserving of God's mercy. So Jonah made a decision that the Ninevites, of all people, should never receive the mercy of God. In Jonah's eyes, they deserved judgment, not mercy. And we're reminded, we're challenged to say, is there a person or a people that we have the same, same block in our eye that Jonah is fighting and dealing with? Where, where we're great with God's mercy being extended here, but boy, we don't want God's mercy to be extended to those people, those guys, that person who hurt me or offended me. And so it's such an important story, not just for Jonah's sake, but for our sake. Now, I want to uh, define this word for us because it's the headlines of our series in Jonah. The dictionary defines this word mercy this way. Mercy, compassion or kindly forbearance shown towards an offender, an enemy, or other person in one's power. So as we think about the mechanics of mercy today, we can keep this definition in mind. Mercy means to show compassion, to show kindly, 
Patience would be another word. Kindly patience towards an offender, an enemy, or a person that's under your power. And for God, that would be everyone, right? He, he had power over all things. And so for him to extend mercy to those under his power. But for us as people, we might not want to extend mercy to someone who has hurt us or, or offended us. And, and in this case, we might struggle to extend the love and grace of God in Christ to them. So that's the definition we're working under when we think about mercy in our series. And I'll probably come back to that at the end. But for now, I want to get us back into the story. Remember, Jonah has jumped on a ship. He's headed away from Nineveh. And we're going to pick up the story in chapter 1 of Jonah, verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each one cried out to his own God. And then they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went down to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Now, I really appreciated, we read a commentary in preparation for this series by author and pastor Timothy Keller. And I really appreciate what he wrote about this passage. And Mike alluded to it, but I want to spend some time in it. Our first lesson or our first note in our bulletins today is this. Number one, sin always has a storm attached to it. Right? Sin always has a storm attached to it. This story for Jonah, the storm is obvious. It's literal, it's real, and it comes quickly upon Jonah. And sadly, it comes on the entire crew, the entire ship. But sin always has a storm attached to it. And I think for us, sometimes the storm is far less obvious. And I think that's what makes it difficult for us sometimes to face up and recognize our own sin. Let me give one example that I think will impact all of us. It's why I chose it. I want to show you a device that has become a favorite for most of us. This thing we call the cell phone. I've alluded to this many times as both a blessing and a curse. Now, why would you call something that gives you everything at your fingertips a curse? I mean, after all, I can Google and say, hello, Google. That's not exactly how you do it. So just, but Google, how many people live in the United States? And three seconds later, I can give you the answer. I can say, Google, th there's a book in the Old Testament, Jonah. Tell me uh, what the story is about. Summarized of the story of Jonah. Amazing. One to three seconds later, I have an answer. That's a blessing. And we can use this to, to study. And, and one of the things I love is I read my Bible on this device almost every morning. How convenient. It's crazy. But why would I call it a curse? Well, let me 
ask you this. How much time do you think the average adult American spends on this every day? Too much? That's one answer. I, I think the folks in the booth already know. Do you think it's one hour? <laughs> yeah, we could ask Google, and that's what I did, actually. <laughs> that's how I got my answer. Three hours? The average American, and we'll put it up, spends 5.4 hours a day on their phones. Pastors used to use the television as their story of where we spend and maybe waste a little bit of time. It has become the phone as the primary place we spend our time. I want to get into it a little deeper, and then I want to talk about some other things. But what do you think for millennials and baby boomers, uh, what are the number one and number two places we spend the most time on these devices at? Games would be a really good guess, and I think if we went younger, it would be 100% true. Facebook, number one for both, millennials and baby boomers. Any others? Instagram, number two. Twitter is catching up, I think, and especially for the younger folks, and there may be some TikTok-y things I don't even know about. But my point, my point is, it's not reading the Bible. It's probably not making that call to a loved one, which is a blessing. It's probably not calling for work, which we do. We, we do all that. But that's down the list of priorities of how we're using these devices today. Or heavier. Did I change? All right, we're going to change technologies here. To make matters more interesting, going back, how many hours do you still think Americans spend watching television? A day. Three hours is a very good guess. I'll raise that to four hours, and we'll call it good. Okay, so 5.4 hours on our telephones, four hours, and don't worry, this might not affect you or be you personally, but it's average for Americans, four hours on our TVs. And my point is not that those things are necessarily evil in themselves, but I think one of the greatest sins we as Americans have fallen into is the sin of neglect. Here's what I mean. Those 9.4 hours, they get in the way of something, right? They, get, they, they, they take time that could be used in other ways. Here's the statistic that, that smacked me in the face the hardest. Parents spending meaningful time in conversation with their children each day. How many hours, how many minutes do you think we spend in meaningful conversation with our children? One hour, three minutes. Per day, the average is less than one minute. And that's the point I want to make. We could go a whole host of directions. But, but I think one of the great dangers, besides the temptation to go in places we should never go, is what it gets in the way of us doing that does bring honor and glory to God and does edify us and those around us. I think it is what it takes away from that, that is so dangerous. And so our storm, this is my point in all this, just one example, 
our storm may not come immediately. We, we may not even see it with the certainty that Jonah did. But I'm telling you, when we neglect to call our spouses, to love our spouses, to spend time with meaningful conversation with our children, or we spend time gaming and we're so exhausted we can't get up to go to work the next day, those are the things that neglect does that's so dangerous. And so our storm may look a lot differently than Jonah's, but my point is when we sin, there is always a storm attached to it. And so think about that as we move on today. God created us to live in relationship with him. God created us to live for him. And when we fall into sin, what happens is the fabric of this relationship with God is damaged. And if we fail to address it, if we fail to confess it, and we fail to repent and turn away from it and back towards God, guess what happens to the storm? The winds increase, the waves grow taller, and the storm, when it comes, will be much more profound and much more devastating. And so I encourage us personally to think, what sin am I struggling with? Or neglecting that I need to confess to God and repent and break free from so I can live more fully for the Lord. But there's a second side effect of sin that I want to address today. I don't want us to miss in this story, but also in our own lives. And that's number two. Sin causes us to turn our attention inward. Now, now, what do I mean by that? Notice in our story, the whole crew has been proactive. The, the whole crew has cried out to their gods, little g, <laughs> desperately, any and all gods throughout the universe, please help us. They all tried desperately to call out to their gods. What else did they do? They all took tables and chairs and cargo and they threw it all overboard. The entire crew was trying desperately to save the lives of those around them. What was Jonah doing at the same time they were working so hard to save them? He was sound asleep below deck. Now, part of us might think, what a cute moment, what a funny moment. Jonah's tired. But if you ask me, and, and I think this is true, I believe Jonah was down there sleeping because he did not want to face the sin he had already committed. And so what do we do? We go down into the darkness and we try hide. We try so hard desperately to hide from God and our sin. I believe he fell into that great sleep because he was just trying to hide and, and, and ignore what he had just done. And I think we all can struggle with that. We don't want to bring the sin out into the light. We don't want to face it. And just to give us a little bit of, of flavor for this, it's so interesting to me that every one of the others had cried out to their gods. Now, they were little G gods. Nothing happened as a result of that, but they tried. And not only that, they were physically working to save the crew and, and do their best. But there's Jonah sleeping. And the captain comes down, and he's so shocked that Jonah's sleeping through all this. He said, how can you be sleeping, Jonah? Wake up and call out to your God. 
Maybe he will save us. That's what the text says. Maybe he'll save us. None of the other gods have been successful, but maybe yours will be. Call out to him, Jonah. Jonah doesn't call out to his God, does he? Not yet. He doesn't. And the irony here is he is the one who could call out to the one true God. He's the one who has a connection and has been called by the one true God and could actually pray and perhaps save the crew if he would only call out to his God. But Jonah won't do it. And to make it more interesting, the crew is the one doing the calling to their gods, not Jonah. And Jonah not only could help these people be saved from the storm, but he's the one who has a connection with the one true God who could change the eternity of these sailors with, a, with just a moment's change in their heart. And Jonah could, could call out on their behalf, but that's not what Jonah does. I wish so desperately we could get on that ship, not to experience the storm, that would be awful, <laughs> but to interview Jonah right here at this moment at the end of verse 6 and give him an honest pill, not a super energy pill, but an honest pill, and say, Jonah, what's going on in your mind and heart right now? And I would guess, and not quite guarantee, but almost guarantee, Jonah would say, I just want nothing to do with what God is asking of me. And yes, it's selfish, but I don't care. (laughs) I truly think that's where Jonah is right here in this moment. And sometimes I think, knowingly or unknowingly, we're kind of saying the same thing to God. I think it's a very, there's a very good reason why Jonah had to spend three days and three nights in the fish to get right with God, (laughs) is he wasn't ready yet to get right. And God needed to give him some time in that fish to think and reflect on what he was doing and who he was as a follower of the Lord. You see, sin causes us to turn our attention inward. It becomes all about us. And if we keep chasing that sin, we turn more and more inward. We become more and more selfish in how we engage with the world and with the Lord. Now let's continue in our story in Jonah with verse 7. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots and find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew And I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up, throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Something very interesting happens here in verse 12. The final verse we read. For the first time, we see Jonah actually concerned with someone 
other than himself. It's this first moment of him beginning to turn his attention away from himself. He confesses, listen, I'm the one to blame for this storm. If you want to fix it, simply throw me into the sea and the seas will become calm. I want you to see what pastor and author Timothy Keller said about this verse. I, I think it's so powerful, so telling. He wrote this. Often, the first step in coming to one's senses spiritually is when we finally think of somebody, anybody, other than ourselves. Isn't that powerful? Right? The, the first chance we get to break free from the bondage of sin and the selfishness it brings it is when we begin to think about somebody other than ourselves. Maybe we realize, you know, my going down this road is really hurting my wife. My going down this road is, is impacting my children. For Jonah, it's like, if I stay in this place, it's not just me. It, it's this entire crew that's going to die. Do I really want to bring that upon them? Maybe I want to bring it upon myself, but man, do I want to do this and hurt these other people? It's Jonah's first moment where he actually begins to look outward instead of inward. And if you're following in your bulletins, I just want to bring this point home for us. The road back to healthy spirituality often begins when we turn our attention outward. We break free from all of that sinful, selfish look and we lift our eyes enough to see, wow, I need to be thinking of them. I need to be thinking about my wife. I need to be thinking about how this is impacting the people at work. Jonah finally awakens to his reality that his sin and disobedience are putting not just him at risk, but the entire crew at risk. Now let's continue with verse 13. Instead, which is instead of throwing him in, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men were, at this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. This is a place where I just want to take a moment and, and, and give us a chance to take a brief detour because many of us have read this passage and, and maybe made this connection, but I just want to make it perhaps a little more fully for us today. It's interesting. Uh, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ references us back to the prophet Jonah, and he calls it the sign of Jonah the prophet. And it's, it's when Jesus is before the Pharisees and the religious leaders, and he's speaking to them, and we'll hear it in a moment, but they want more miracles, <laughs> They, they, they just want 
Jesus to stumble, and, and, and Jesus is, is speaking back to them in this passage. We find it in Matthew chapter 12, beginning with verse 38. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, said to Jesus, Teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given uh, none None will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Uh, Again, Jesus was mad because these religious leaders were calling for another miraculous sign. It's not as though he hadn't already been there, done that. Many times he had healed people, cast out demons, fed people with just a couple loaves of fish and a a couple loaves of bread and a couple of fish. He had done the miraculous, but Jesus knew there would never be enough miraculous signs. That that wasn't the issue. They were unbending, unwilling to embrace Jesus as Lord and Savior, to see him for who he was, Messiah. And, And so Jesus says, you want a sign? You you all know the story of Jonah. He spent three days, three nights in the belly of a great fish. Well, guess what? The Son of Man, the Son of Man is going to spend three days in the heart of the earth. But the foreshadowing doesn't end there, does it? Because Jonah, sorry, uh, spot spoiler, is going to get spit out of this fish, (laughs) vomited up onto the dry ground, and he's going to live again. Well, Jesus, after spending three days in the heart of the earth, is going to rise again. And and his resurrection will bring hope to us for eternity. But it doesn't end there either, does it? Jonah does finally give his life for the men. Well, Jesus Christ gives his life, not just for the crew, but for the entire world. Anyone who who's willing to trust and believe in him as Lord and Savior receives eternal life. And unlike Jonah, just want to make sure we're not, this isn't apples to apples. Unlike Jonah, who his sin was the reason that he needed to be cast out of the boat, Jesus never sinned. The the one who had no sin died for your sin and my sin. So, So the stories aren't, all similar, but there is some beautiful foreshadowing and connections in these two stories. And it's not lost on Jesus. He says, just look at the sign of the prophet Jonah. If you want to see what's coming when God raises me from the heart of the earth. So with all that, I want to take us back to this definition of mercy. Mercy compassion or kindly forbearance shown towards an offender, an enemy, or other person in one's power. Just picture all this with me as best you can. God extended mercy to that crew. But by not just calming the storm, which saved their lives in the moment, but through the storm, God opened their eyes to put their faith in him. Let me bring us back to the text. The Bible tells us at this time they greatly feared the Lord. They offered sacrifices to the Lord and they made vows to him. 
Most scholars believe that they weren't just saved from the storm, but these were signs of true faith in the Lord. So in God's miraculous, mysterious mercy, he didn't just save them in the moment. He, he saved them for eternity. And what a beautiful picture. He brought a storm that they had to suffer through, but out of the storm, he didn't just rescue them in the moment. He rescued them for eternity. God extended mercy to Jonah by providing a great fish to swallow him up and give him some time to incubate and think about his behavior, about his relationship with God, about obedience and disobedience, about what it means to live for God. We've titled this entire series in Jonah, The Mysteries of God's Mercy. And isn't it ironic that this beautiful, unmerited, right, undeserving mercy of God, that Jonah is so angry and so offended about when God aims it towards the Ninevites, Right? When he starts to consider the idea of mercy being extended to the Ninevites, Jonah is offended and he's angry. Well, now this same unmerited mercy is Jonah's only hope. And this is a little harder to demonstrate when you don't get to use this mic and you have a handheld. But I'm going to put you all down for just a minute. on my friend, the whale, the great fish. So Jonah was swallowed by a great fish. Modern day Jonah. The great fish says, God is great. God is good. God, we thank you for our food. Amen. I hope that didn't offend anybody. That wasn't my intention. But here's Jonah, right? Literally swallowed by the great fish. And here's the strange, beautiful mystery of God's mercy. It's in this great fish that Jonah begins to see and experience the mystery of God's mercy. It's in this great fish that Jonah experiences God's grace personally. And here's my calling to you. You need to come back next week because next week we get to hear the cries of mercy that Jonah shares from the belly of this great fish and what that looks like as we, too, cry out in worship to our Lord and Savior. So I encourage you to come back as we continue our series next week. And I want to end with this. May we never forget, as beautiful as the mercy that God extended to Jonah was, there is a mercy that God has extended to us in Christ Jesus and that's what I want to close with today, is would you close your eyes and lift your minds to the Lord as we pray and give thanks to the one true Savior.
Lord God, I love the thread through your word from beginning to end. Sometimes it's easy to recognize. Sometimes it's harder. But through it all, you love us as broken as we are. You extend mercy to us, unmerited mercy and grace, despite our brokenness, despite our sin. Lord, help us lift our hearts and our minds and our spirits today and give thanks to you for Jesus Christ, the one who overcame death, sits at your right hand, intercedes on our behalf day upon day as we stumble and fall. He lifts us back up. Lord, we thank you. We love you. And we pray this in Jesus' precious, mighty, holy name. Amen. God bless you, and we'll see you next week.